Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hey, hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much, man. Not much. It's uh, This is my vacation week, so... Doing the staycation? Doing the staycation. Well, I, I, I told you, we were, we had originally planned on going to Saguenay-Olac, Saguenay-Quebec, mm-hmm. Saguenay, 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 the place in Quebec. Yeah. Anyways, uh, a month ago, we canceled all the plans because of all the forest fires, but now apparently they're saying, oh no, please come, it's all good now, but yeah, we couldn't just throw a trip together to Quebec uh, on the last second, so, so now we do a staycation. Because the second plan didn't work as well. Because I came up with a brilliant idea that I was going to drag. I think I mentioned this. Did we mention this before? Yeah. yeah so we're going to do Moose and the Moose Factory, but too many bugs. So, yeah. So now I'm doing yard work all week. Great vacation. <laughs> and boy, am I ever sore. I am, right? I, I'm so, I have so many aches and pains. It's like, well, when did I get old? You're just, you're <laughs> preaching to the choir, sister. It, it snuck up on me. Like normally, I can just I can do this all I can do this all day, but uh, not anymore. I've been my chainsaw has been getting a lot of work lately. <laughs> my shovels digging up roots have been getting a lot oh, of work yeah, lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it's uh, eesh. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm shoveling and I'm build, building a platform to put a, a, sh- a shed on and, and just moving a lot of stuff and lifting and whatever. It's uh, it's like, you know, my body is uh, is noticing it. It's protesting. Mm-hmm. Under protest, mm-hmm. your body's on strike. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on? It's easier to do a portage than this stuff. Right? Hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, it's part of being a homeowner. Yep. You got to get it done yep. sometimes. Professional homeowner. We're, we're totally, oh, we've been working on it slowly over the last couple of years, but totally revamping our backyard. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> it's one well, of those, you need to win the lottery and just hire someone. Oh, I know. Would that be nice? Go to work one day, come home, and yeah. it's all done. I can't afford to do that, though. Yeah. Hmm. However, if there's anybody that wants to do one for free, <laughs> come on down. There you go, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is a season. Uh, mm-hmm. Getting enough rain lately too, eh? Starting to, yeah. Uh, so the fire ban is done as of a week ago? Yep. About a week ago, the interior fire ban it, it was uh, was shuttered. And uh, so that now people, it's, I, I'll i be excited next time I go camping. It's like, hey, hey I miss having fires. Yeah. Well, then we can have one in our backyard now, too. Mm-hmm. We got that cooking thing back there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I made a couple massive trips to the transfer station to get rid of branches and logs yeah. and stuff that have been in our backyard, but I kept a small pile aside, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wasn't getting rid of all of it, just most of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> our backyard looks so huge now without those old dead trees. Oh, yeah. 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 Massive. And we still have trees back there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, apparently we got more yard than we knew. It's just been <laughs> hidden under trees. Yeah, yeah. Other than oh, that. And we had another swing and a miss today. Derek buying beer. and uh, Oh, yes. We're drinking Sean's Kilkenny today. Because my beer. I don't remember buying that beer. I don't know. Because it, it it's came the label. Case, really, st- I know, but it's like, I must have not... I. Apparently, you panicked I again. I didn't. Apparently, I didn't read that label. So, it's made instead of hops. It's made with Persian saffron, saffron. 
and it was not a good beer. We both dumped it. Tracy does not like beer. <laughs> and she liked this. She absolutely <laughs> hates beer with a passion. So I brought it up to her and go, this doesn't even taste like beer. Smell it and taste it. She smelled it. Ooh, she tasted it. <laughs> On a really hot day, I'd probably drink that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It says beer on it. Yeah, it's not. Persian beer. Mm-hmm. Ontario Craft Beer. Yeah. It was not good. Area. A-R-I-A, in a purplish-maroon-looking can. I had a few sips, but that's all I could do. It's like, nope, this one's going down the drain. Out of the 52 (laughs) beers we have a year, (laughs) that's the first one we've dumped this year. Yeah, so... And we we dump about maybe one a year. Yeah. Because we just like, no, no. Well, I learned that, so sour beers are not a a A winner. And some of the fruity beers, like the like the, if it's a peach or a blueberry or some weird thing, it's like, okay, we'll never experiment with those anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what the problem with a lot of those beers are? They're not like Guinness or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like Guinness. Yeah. But not, not today's beer, not the Aria. No. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're drinking good old Kilkenny tonight, yeah. Irish cream. Mm-hmm. That'll, that's good old standby. Yeah. <laughs> Digging into the personal stash for that one, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, do you remember a few episodes back we were talking about that guy that's doing the canoe kayak rental machine yes. thing? Yes, yes. There is apparently one down on Sunset Beach down in St. Catharines, Ontario here. Yes. Uh, Fabiola Hernandez. She says, uh, it hasn't been a dream summer. Well, she was envisioning when uh, she floated this idea of a kayak rental business on Sunset Beach. If the start of the season didn't bring rain, it brought smoke from forest fires in Quebec and northeastern Ontario. So, yeah, it's uh, made a bit of a damper. She She hooked up one of these things down there. And she's hoping the, the weather cooperates the, the rest of the, the summer. So it, uh, she says, to be honest, it's been a challenge. We were all told, don't go outdoors because the air quality was really bad. So that really affected her business. Also, the rain, June was horrible. I got three rentals for all of June. That's not good. No. She's one of a handful of kayakomats. Kayakomat. Mm-hmm. It's like a laundry mat, but with kayaks. Where was the one that we already read about? We we had uh, talked was about. Is that the one in Australia? Is that I, I can't remember yeah. where it was. But these things are they're starting to pop up, and apparently yeah. there's a few of them in Ontario. Yeah, the franchise in Ontario uh, they bought these self serve kayak and paddleboard rentals. To they brought them to local waterfronts. Uh, customers book online. They get a code, and they just and because we we're wondering about that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they just enter the code into the, at the kiosk, unlocks the equipment and everything they need for their adventure, including life jackets, paddles, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, right? Costs about, she says that she charges $30 an hour plus taxes for the kayak, 20 for a stand-up paddle board, and offered for a minimum of two hours at a time. So that's 15 or 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. She picked Sunset Beach for the venture because she lives in Port Weller for 10 years before moving to Niagara Falls and thought having a paddle sport rental option would be a big hit. Great location. Love Sunset Beach. I'm not getting the response that I was hoping, but I love the concept. You book online, you unlock, you paddle. It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's sustainable. 
Reaction from people who have rented, including a few new and repeat customers in July, had uh, has been good, she said, and many say they'll be back because it's a fun experience. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you don't have to haul your own gear down. Well, you don't have to haul your own gear down, but you also don't have to buy and store and maintain your own gear. Right? It's, it's just a, it's a easy, quick rental. And, uh, and so it'd be great for people who are maybe in the area on vacation or anybody regulars just like who don't want to buy their own kayak, but just mm-hmm. want to get out on the water occasionally. Right. So it's funny because she, her involvement with kayak, kayak, Matt, Oh, man, that's a hard word to say. Kayakamat. Kayakamat. Began when she was looking for an opportunity to run a part-time business that wouldn't rely on her to be on-site or mobile. She moved at the end of 2012 with her son and daughter to St. Catharines, where the cost of living was cheaper. She said her former home became a place for healing because she lives with chronic pain. She says, I can live my life. I can work part-time. And one thing she can't do is kayak. So she has business, but she can't do it. She has fond memories of kayaking and canoeing as a kid growing up, but it requires upper body strength, which she no longer has. Her business partner is her 20-year-old son, who takes care of the equipment, cleans the kayaks, and ensures the safety equipment is in good working order. Uh, Her first uh, kiosk is the first non-food truck vendor that's operating on St. Catherine City property through a new food truck and mobile vending cart program adopted last year. Uh, Kayakomat's unmanned kiosks were launched in Sweden in 2020 and were so popular they expanded to more than 100 locations in eight countries. There are 13 in Canada with four in Ontario and the rest all in Alberta. There you go. So if you're down in the St. Catharines area near Sunset Beach and you want to get out on the water for a while, it is yep. a perfect way to do it. And it's a good opportunity to help her out and uh, get her business uh, up and running and humming along. Yeah. I mean, if it becomes popular where they're always being rented, then maybe she throws a second one in yeah. there or a third one or whatever, right? But yeah, the first non-food truck vendor mm-hmm. in the city of St. So Catholic's. you'd have to be licensed to operate. So I guess it's uh, it makes sense. So it's a food truck system for whatever, mm-hmm. and it's just licensed that way with the city. That's cool, though. Hmm. Uh, yeah, because you always think of these things. Oh, yeah, there are other countries or other yeah, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. this one's just, well, across the lake from us. Uh, we've also talked on the show many times about how being outdoors and on the water and everything is good for you. Hmm. And here in Ontario, Absolutely. doctors can write you a prescription <laughs> for uh, getting out to nature. Yeah. Right, yep. which is... You need to get outside, breathe yeah. some air, get out, get out in the sun. Once a day, from 9 till 5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and still get paid. Uh, being outside is healthy for you, for your mental health. Ebony Joy Igbenoba never imagined she would whitewater kayak in the middle of Oregon. But a breast cancer diagnosis in 2019 changed everything. My disease hijacked my physical and emotional well-being. I had bilateral mastectomy, chemo, radiation, and physical therapy. I lost arm movement, especially on the right side. People called me a survivor, but I felt horrible every day. Which you got to think. Yeah. It's, it, it, it just takes everybody I know that's had to go through the chemo and stuff like that. It just it sucks takes it right yeah. out of you. 
Uh, when I got the opportunity to sign up for a river excursion through the nonprofit First Descents, I didn't know if I could physically handle it because I was still hurting from surgery, taking meds that caused bone pain and extreme fatigue. I knew I needed to reconnect with the adventurous spirit I once was, even if it took a big outing like this one. As expected, kayaking was hard. They give you a lot of instructions. My brain fog made it hard to remember them. At one point, I didn't realize I was paddling backward. I cried, emotional, and afraid. Somehow, though, I built up the courage the next day to get back in the kayak. As big rapids approached, I thought, I am getting out of here alive. I have kids, a life, and a purpose. And this river is not going to take me. And it didn't. I got over the hump, literally, and realized just how much pure joy I was experiencing out there. That's where I found my identity again. And that's what they talk about, getting out there, getting on the, in touch with nature, yep, the yep. water. You know, it, it's that... It has its healing methods. It's a Totally spiritual healing. spirit, yep. Yeah, it, 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 it really helps. Um, there's the stories of veterans going on these oh, rafting absolutely. trips yep. and getting back into touch with things and, and helping with their healing and stuff like that. It, it's huge. Uh, Yukon River Quest, you get all the breast cancer survivors in the yep. one big uh, boat that does the, the Yukon River Quest. Being on that river reminded me how important it was to allow myself to have some fun. For two years, I kept thinking I was going to die. I have bilateral breast cancer and four tumors They'd already metastasized to some lymph nodes, and I knew that black women are more likely to die from this disease. When you're ready to say yes to adventure, be honest about your your limitations. Take kayaking. You can ask about universal seats, paddle adaptions, transfer benches, and even whether there will be time or space for rest breaks during the day. You may think, I'm the only one who has limitations, but that's usually not the case. Even if you are, there's somebody who's willing to make this experience happen for you. Calling beforehand and making a plan will ease any anxiety. You've got this. Very cool. Good for Really her. cool that, that yeah. she, she got out there and, and found out that she can do this. and uh, You know, it, it's that first step, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's finding a way to make that healthy step in your life to do something that, you know, a lot of people do when they come, uh, you, you know, either cancer diagnosis or a major accident or something that, you know, to get out and do stuff like this, it's kind of rewarding to the soul. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, there's always going to be people that if, if you explain, you know, what you've gone what, through and, all, and your limitations. There's always somebody yeah. that's going to lend a hand. I oh, mean, absolutely. We've always talked about paddling communities being, you know, there for for everybody and mm -hmm. helping each other out and stuff like that. And yeah, if if you're not sure, I mean, even look at look some of the Facebook pages we're on. You know, people are always on there asking different questions. And oh, yeah. Boom, they get yeah. like dozens of yeah. answers for, for, you know, to help out and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So. You know, uh, like she says, you've got this. If if you've got any questions, just call ahead and say, hey, here's what's going on and can you help me out? And I'm sure people will be there to help out. Oh, yeah. So good for her to make that step. Uh, we were talking about um, garbage a while back. We saw that one film at the film festival about... Uh, oh, the Australian guy. Yeah, doing the, mm -hmm. doing the... Following the creek from... Where it really started a little dribble yeah. into the sewers and then down into 
eventually the ocean. Yes. Uh, and the garbage and everything that he found. Massive quantity. In the midst of holiday celebrations, numerous people took to Ladybird Lake, whether by paddleboard, kayakers, or other means. But how does the increase in people on the lake impact the ecosystem? City of Austin's Watershed Protection Department said a lot of paddlers and people walking on the sediments could dislodge aquatic plants and stir up sediments, temporarily increasing turbidity and nutrient contents. And with any large gathering in the water, there is the potential to increase on a local scale bacteria and E. coli in the water. Not good. No. Not good. So, yeah, there's this Lady Bird Lake in, in Austin, I guess, is a big big party place in uh, the holidays, during the holidays, uh, which would have been July 4th. Department said the number of visitors on Ladyburg Lake increases in the summer, especially on weekends and holidays. However, following 4th of July celebrations, it said the lake crew did not observe anything out of the ordinary while working. Cleanup efforts by the department are expected to continue throughout the remainder of the week, according to the city. So that would have been the, the week after 4th of July. Uh, cleaning Ladyburg Lake is an ongoing effort between the city of Austin, partner organizations, and the public. According to the city, approximately 55 tons of trash were removed from Lady Bird Lake in the past year and a half. 55 tons of trash? That's mind-numbingly shocking. It's like, I I think what, I find it incredibly sad to see that so many people will come out to a location like that and leave so much garbage behind them, right? It's, I've never understood that, that you're going to take the time to carry stuff out there, but you're not going to bring it back. Right. Yeah, I mean, we've even seen pictures um, after uh, Canada Day, uh, long weekend. Yes. There's pictures like, here's what, we came in after Canada Day, and here's beaches and campsites and all just trashed. We encourage the community to keep uh, to practice leave no trace principles and to check for volunteer opportunities with our partner Keep Austin Beautiful. So there's a uh, an organization called Keep Austin Beautiful that works with um, trying to keep everything nice and clean in Austin. But 55 tons of trash. Mm-hmm. That's it's shocking. Well, you got to think. I mean, a lot of the trash is probably like water bottles. Paper wrappers. I've seen, like, I've seen videos of like the, there was a. I don't. I'm trying to find it right now. I'm googling it, but I remember seeing a few videos right after the uh, July Fourth weekend in the states, and there was somebody had walked the beach, and there was like lawn chairs left behind, and umbrellas, yeah. and you know empty cases of beer and cans galore. It's just like people are just leaving the stuff behind them and walking away as if it's not their responsibility. Yeah, you know, like you, you take it there and then I guess you're partying, drinking all day, watching the fireworks, and then you just get up and leave? Yeah. Everything? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. No, that's huge. But, uh, yeah, so clean up after yourself, people. I know we've said it a lot, and uh, but, you know, 55 tons of trash. That's all mm-hmm. I'm going to say. 
Yeah, so here it's uh, talking about Austin, Texas. Each year, city staff and volunteers pull approximately 11 tons of trash from Ladyburg Lake. An additional 4,500 tons are removed annually from the streets of Austin. Some of these are discarded items were dropped directly into the river, but most trash washes in during rainstorms. Wow. It's so so much garbage. Wow. Hmm. Tons. All right. Come on, people. Practice. Uh, leave no trace. Yes, exactly. Pack it in. Pack it out. Do you remember episode 331? We talked about the trio of septuagenarians. I don't even know what episode number this one is. Oh, look at that. 387. <laughs> <laughs> I just show up for beer. Uh, so three women from Iowa and southern Manito- uh, Minnesota have paddled the Red River at the Manitoba border to the north end of Lake Winnipeg this summer on the second leg of a journey to Hudson Bay. They made it to their destination of Norway House, Manitoba. So we talked about this, but they were doing this. They wanted to paddle all the way up to yeah. Hudson Bay. And they they did one one thing last year. Do it a section each year, yeah. Yeah, they, and they said it was going to take three, uh, three years to do it. The trio, all in their early 70s, paddled from Lake Traverse to the Manitoba border last summer. Uh, with Lake Winnipeg now behind them, they plan to tackle the final leg of the trip to Hudson Bay next summer. This summer leg of the trip included about 120 miles on the Red River, 260 miles on Lake Winnipeg, and 40 miles across Play Green Lake and down the Jack River to Norway House. Uh, women were able to leave their canoe in Norway House and caught a bus back to Winnipeg, where one of their partners picked them up for the ride back to their respective homes. So two out of the three years is done. They're 70s. They're in their 70s. <laughs> I know, that's amazing. Good in their them. 70s, Derek. Yeah. And you're complaining about being old. <laughs> true, true. You know what? Like, we've talked about so many older people. And when I say older, I mean older than us. <laughs> yes. People doing big trips over the last year. Maybe that's what happens. I'm trying to find the details. Is when you're in your 50s. It's all a mental game. You're, 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 you feel like crap. And then all of a sudden you hit your Maybe. mid-60s. Maybe I have something to look forward to. You get to. your second wind. Maybe. Third wind, fourth wind, whatever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're ready to take on the world again. And that's when you start skydiving and zip lining and scuba diving, <laughs> paddling to Hudson Bay, wrestling alligators, that sort of stuff. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Well, congratulations to them. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm trying to figure out. I'm looking at a map right now to see where. So they did from Lake Traverse to the Manitoba border last summer. They're doing a lot. So they did Lake, right? they did Lake Winnipeg this year. Mm-hmm. Up to so, Norway House. Up to Norway House, which is the northern end of Lake Winnipeg. So are they going to take that water route straight? Yeah, look, I can see the yeah. route that they're going to take. You're going to end up at, at Fort, no, Port Nelson and York Factory. Ta-da! It's pretty amazing. Right? Very impressive. In their 70s, Derek. I know, I know. So don't worry. Your prime <laughs> time is still to come, my friend. So work out now getting all those yard work things done. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because you're going to build up a bod that'll just take you across the country in your 70s. <laughs> That's the way it happens, Apparently. That's the way it goes. Well, one of the things is I've all the sh- dirt that I've been shoveling, I think I've developed uh, arthritis in my hand. I got my the rheumatism. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that uh, 
Beverly Hillbillies, my rheumatism medicine. And Granny. <laughs> yes. Granny had her rheumatism medicine. <laughs> so here's one I came across, which both of us have never heard of this. No, I know. Big Creek National Wildlife Area. It's a picturesque destination in Ontario, not too far, less a few hours from us, uh, where you can paddle through a slow-flowing river a reminiscent of the South American Amazon. Uh, located just two and a half hours southwest of Toronto, you'll find Big Creek situated on the north shore of Lake Erie near the small town of Port Rowan. Which is, uh, if, if you're looking at a map, you'll see the big, uh, long point sticks yeah, the, out there. Yeah, the big too, sand right? spit. Yeah. But Big Creek is known as the Canadian Amazon. Dubbed the Canadian Amazon due to its ex- distinct meandering waterway, which through, flows through a lush canopy of Carolinian forest. The dense forest of sycamore and black walnut trees are also covered with grape and Virginia creeper vines hanging over the creek, giving you the full jungle feel. We're going to have to go. I think we should line it with, like, speakers and play, like, parrot sounds and (laughs) monkey sounds. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Stretching for 60 kilometers long, the watershed covers 730 kilometers before emptying into Lake Erie at Long Point. Wait. 730 square that's big yeah the 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 river itself is 60 kilometers long yeah so the watershed covers 730 square kilometers wow but there's also two human-made wetlands which are important habitat for migratory birds and other wildlife including endangered species species at risk and threatened species they also if you go to the website uh, talk uh, like the parks ontario website mm-hmm. it was um, and you look this one up, they're talking about invasive species and there's a ton of them and they got Canada geese as an invasive species. Who, who, who says this? Their website. How is it an invasive species? I guess to that area. Hmm. Yeah. Um, seasonal highlights of the area include water, waterfowl migration in the spring and fall. Because this is at Long Point's a huge stopover yes. for birds, yeah. in that, right? Turtle nesting in the spring, monarch butterfly migration in August and September. The other one is uh, what's the um, provincial park out near Kingston? Oh, is it not Sandbanks? Sand, I don't think it's Sandbanks. I'm thinking of. There's another one out there, but it's a big oh, stop. Yeah, um, for the monarchs as well. Mm-hmm. What's it called? It's right near Sandbanks. A buddy of mine has a cottage there. Anyways, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Uh, so there's some seasonal things to, to check out there as well. Uh, Grand River Rafting offers kayak, canoe, paddle boards, in which you can explore the area and takes anywhere between three and five hours. Now, this is the, the, the wetlands, mm-hmm. not the big river, because I mean, 60, 60 kilometer river might take a bit longer than three to five hours, I would think. <laughs> Long Point Eco Adventures is another local company offering tours of Big Creek via kayak or paddleboard. An experienced guide will lead you down the creek while sharing valuable insights of the area. That'd be cool because he can point out stuff that you're not going to see. But, I mean, there's like birds of so many different types. Yes. uh, Reptiles, um, snakes, tons of snakes, uh, turtles, birds, frogs, insects. 
everything galore. There's so much there to go. I, you, that's where you take your kids mm-hmm. to, oh, to yeah. find stuff, yeah. right? That'd be amazing. But yeah, people go there to to see all the the birds in the spring and the fall and the the, the, the monarch butterfly. The other location was Presque Isle Point. Presque Isle, that's mm. it. Yeah, Presque Isle. So, but yeah, I've never never heard of like I mean I've known Long Point. Yes. I mean, but I didn't know about that water route. Yeah, the Canadian Amazon. Yeah. Wow. Day trip. To, I think we'll have to go check that out. We will. Maybe get a, like a fifty people conglomerate going down there because <laughs> we don't want to be attacked. Yeah. By riddles. Yeah. Watch out for the alligators. Yeah. Alligators, piranhas. Yeah. <laughs> Dubbed the Canadian Amazon, meandering waterway which flows through a lush canopy of Carolinian forests. There's nothing <laughs> like paddling under trees. Oh, I know. Yeah. Right? Especially Serene. it's like a, a little tunnel sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we'll have to check that out. But, yeah, it's right on Lake Erie there. You can see it on any map. Just Google map it. Long point, and then you'll see everything there. Uh, speaking of beers, quickly, Five Paddles, oh, which yes. we have yep. some of it in the fridge there. They've got new owners and a new head brewer. The head brewer comes from the Tilted Glass. Really? Uh-huh. Which was um, Manantler, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's he's come from there, so they're they're going to get to him. Uh, they are going to be keeping most of the recipes from the previous owners and adding some of their own. The previous owners, they made 150 different beers last year. That's that's a bit much. Yeah. How can you be an expert in one when you're making that many? Yeah. It's like when you go to a restaurant and it's like the menu is like 300 pages long. It's like, how can you guys be good at all of this? How many different ways can you make chicken nuggets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and grilled cheese. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, 150. I mean, maybe pick like... A core group. Five to ten yeah. ones that you have all the time. Yeah. And then seasonal or... You know, a special one for the month or something like that. But 150 different beers. Curious, eh? Yeah, that's a bit much. Hmm. But, ah. So, yeah, we'll have to uh, go check them out, see if their stuff remains the same. I came across this one here. Were you ever in Scouts? Never. Never? I lived in the country anyway, so... Beavers, Cubs, Scouts. Nope, never did any of that. Ventures. And I think in the States they got Eagle Scouts. Yeah, my buddies sure. used to, my, my parents had 300 acres of woodlot in New Brunswick growing up. So we kind of created our own little private scout group. We'd, you know, build shelters and all that Try stuff. Try not to burn the forest down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hoodlums. We never did. We never did burn that forest down. I started in Cubs and then went into Scouts. And I was looking at, and we, we had a blast. I mean, we, like I say, we were the come in when the streetlights generation comes on, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I enjoyed scouts. I enjoyed cubs and getting out there and doing the camping and all that sort of stuff. Learned lots of me, but we did that anyway as a family. Mm-hmm. We'd hit all that. So I was eyeing up going into ventures was the next step. And a bunch of my buddies were heading off to Air Cadets. And that's what you did. And I said, wow, if you're all making the uh, little leap. Yeah. And that's what I did as well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I also did air crew survival courses and 
yeah. stuff like so that. So that would right? be interesting. Which is, you know, yeah, they teach you how to survive in the woods if your plane crashes. Mm-hmm. So that was just sort of a different aspect of of all that. So that was pretty cool, and I think that really that took that took the scouting sort of to a next level. I think. Oh yeah, that kind of thing, and sort of you know going out on our, our trips and camping trips and canoe trips and stuff, and just sort of solidified how much we love the outdoors. But yeah, at the edge of the boundary waters, there's a scout camp. And it goes by several names, unofficially. Uh, it's called Summer's Canoe Base, the Ely Base, the Canoe Base, Northern Tier, or just the Base. But for a hundred years now, it has always been a single mission: get kids out in canoes. Began in 1923. Well, so that's uh, hundred years this year. So it's a hundred years. Yeah, and that's the whole thing: is it's a hundred years of scouts canoe tripping. Mm-hmm. So it began in 23 with trips organized by a guy named Carl Chase from the Iron Range Boy Scout Council and was at first called Region 10 Canoe Trails. It is now officially called the Charles L. Summers Wilderness Canoe Base, part of the Northern Tier High Adventure Camp Network owned and operated by the National Office of the Boy Scouts of America. It's the oldest high adventure camp in the U.S. and has been the base camp from which hundreds of thousands of scouts have trekked into the wild over the decades, some of them canoeing for the first time, most of them venturing away from roads and civilization for the first time. And we've talked about that before when I first moved to Toronto, coming from places like out in Alberta, you know, northern Alberta and Moosonee up in Hudson Bay, North Bay, northern Ontario, stuff like that. And, I mean, that was right outside our back door doing all that sort of stuff and coming down here to Toronto and, you know, have you ever been north? Yeah, I've been to Barrie, which is like an hour north of Toronto. No, that's that's not north. No, (laughs) the correct answer would be no, I have never been to the north. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, yeah, when when you start taking friends, you know, I met friends uh, in, in college and stuff and we'd go north and they're just like, ooh. Mm-hmm. This is different, you know. <laughs> and then you go from there. I mean, I've taken Tracy places that she's just like, yeah, we didn't really do this growing up. Mm-hmm. They went east to the coast, to the to the east coast. Yeah, but they never went north to do. Let's go poop in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> just do like the bears do. Let's be like the bears. Uh, the numbers are impressive. This summer alone, two thousand twenty-three. The camp will send nearly 4,000 kids from across the U.S. into the wilderness, both in the Boundary Waters and Quetico Provincial Park, which lies just six miles up from it. Uh, 4,000 kids. That's incredible. In a summer. That, that's, I don't know how you can pack that many kids in. Mm-hmm. On any given day this summer, the camp will have more than 400 people out on canoe trips. <laughs> they have 500 canoes. Just picture that. 500 canoes. <laughs> Kevin Callan has, what, like 10, and he's got too many. Yeah. Jerry Vandiver has, I don't know how many, but yeah. he's got too many. I mean, he's even written a song called Too Many Boats. Yeah. <laughs> 500 canoes. That's crazy. In what's believed to be the largest private fleet, fleet. of canoes. Yeah. Yeah, at this point, you're calling it a fleet. Is there something bigger than a fleet? Because <laughs> this is what it is. A navy. Uh, a fleet of canoes anywhere in the world. 
racks of life jackets, paddles, cook kits and cook stoves, water bladders, tents and packs, hundreds of packs, various sizes, fill an entire building. Sorry, fill entire buildings. Yeah. Uh, Ely-based condos outdoors now sews most of the camps big canoe packs because they have been able to make them scout-proof better than any <laughs> other company. If you've ever seen young teenagers... Oh, yeah. Hard on gear. They're hard on... They don't care. Especially... It's just like you renting a car. Mm-hmm. It's not my car. Let's <laughs> 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 see what this puppy can do. Yeah. Let's just leave some of the rubber on the road. Uh, some 125 staff are needed to keep the camp running. Cooks, maintenance, office managers, guides, which are called interpreters, uh, who accompany each canoe trip. We could really use more staff just to give our people a few more breaks during the summer. We were up over 200 before COVID hit, and then all the craziness of trying to hire people started. Uh, says Leslie Thibodeau, general manager of the Northern Tier program, which is true. Every there's there's so many people I've heard that from, mm-hmm. especially the restaurant industry too. Yeah, since COVID, trying to hire people to oh yeah, to yeah. do stuff. Yeah, but I I wouldn't think that the outdoor industry would really have. Now you've been out to Whistler since COVID, have you not? No. Was it before? Were you not out there there skiing with your... Yeah, I went, went to White Mountain. White Mountain. And was that not before or after COVID? I think it was before. Was it? Okay, I'm just trying to figure yeah. out if there was... Because, I mean, there's it was a before. lot it was of definitely people before. go out there and, yeah. and get summer jobs yes. Yes. in the outdoor industry. So I'm, I'm surprised that they're having problems getting people mm-hmm. here. Uh, interpreters must be at least 18 years old and have a zest for adventure. Some are former campers returning to be guides, which you hear about that in, in uh, kids' camps too, right? Yeah. While they come from a ver- from various backgrounds, most of the interpreters are outgoing, responsible, and capable, able to function independently as well as take responsibility for getting a group into, through, and out of the wilderness, which I guess that's probably the biggest thing is making sure that y'all come back. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, you left with ten. The you return only got nine. <laughs> that could be an issue. Eh. We only lose a few kids a year. Just think of the money <laughs> the parents will save. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, they come from various. Oops. Uh, you really have to be an extrovert to do that job well to uh, to be able to communicate. Uh, says Thibodeau, a native of, of Nebraska, who has been with the Ely Camp since 2012. That's a long time. That's what. Yeah, 11 years years now, eh? Career. Yeah. In July, interpreter Ryan Harvey was preparing a group of scouts from Missouri and Kansas for their canoe trip. Uh, Harvey came from the camp as a scout slash camper in 2018. Liked it so much, he knew he wanted to come back as a staff member. Some people, it just strikes a chord, and that's what they're going to do. I love this country, the lakes, the topography, said Harvey, 19, who lives near Denver, which isn't really close. It's so different from what I'm used to. I fell in love with it and just driving up here. I love to be on this water. Well, and you know, and I mean, there's a lot of people that say about that, about Algonquin, Tamagami, Killarney, the same deal, right? They find this one area that they just love and they want to keep coming back to it over and over again. For a lifetime. This summer has been a bit of a challenge due to the record crop of black flies and mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Again, preaching to the choir, sister. Yeah. 
but head nets and bug spray help. And the energy from a constant stream of excited campers is easy to feed off of. Every day the camp sends out 8 to 10 groups of up to 9 people. Maximum group size allowed in Boundary Waters. Usually one staff interpreter, two adults from the scout troop, and six scouts. Most of their canoes have built-in third seat. Every day more groups arrive from across the U.S. Some drive all the way from Maine, Florida, California, and Texas. Others fly into Minneapolis or Duluth and then rent vans to get to Ely. They spend their first afternoon meeting their interpreter, planning their canoe route, and readying their gear. Next morning, they practice some basic moves, like getting a canoe up on their shoulders for a portage and then head out before noon. And stuff like that, you, we just take for granted. But mm-hmm. you got to remember, and, and that's what—that's actually what they, they go on to say, is you got to remember every, every group's a new group. Yes, right? yeah. Uh, and they said that um, sometimes if they got a big groups of like four or five different campers mm-hmm. or, or uh, scout groups, yep. they'll place different, like all your group won't go together. Sometimes they mix them up. Oh, okay. So if you're from Florida, you, you the other scouts you're with could be from Texas. Tennessee. Tennessee. Whatever, yeah. New York. Yep. Yeah. And like that would be good to- Which would be cool. You would mix in the different locations across- yeah. Across the states, and and you'd have different and newer experiences. You're, yeah, you get quite, uh, you know, it'd be kind of get kind of old if you only went to people from your own area. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they have to arrange that out because some of them will probably go. No, we want to stick together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that'd be cool though to do that sort of thing. Uh, just going back with my when I did my air crew survival courses, um, they stick you 180 kilometers north of Edmonton in the middle of nowhere in a group of four. Hmm. Three guys I, I knew through the training, but mm-hmm. we're nowhere near where I lived. Yeah. Right? So that that's pretty cool. And then you sit there. At least you got something to talk about when you're <laughs> stuck there trying to, you yeah. know, drinking swamp water and eating tadpoles. <laughs> 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 Filtered swamp water and boiled. <laughs> uh, each afternoon, a tired but happy stream of eight to ten groups comes back into camp. After a week or 10 days in the wild where they fished, swam, learned to set tents, cook outdoors, and paddle a canoe straight and true, which is important. They spend one last night at camp with a bonfire ceremony and then head home the next morning, just before another surge of 8 to 10 groups arrive. This goes on every day, all summer, a bit like the movie Groundhog Day. I can imagine. Can you imagine? It's just like... Over and over and over... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and this is what she says is, we have to remind ourselves that every day is the first day for another bunch of groups and that they need to start from the beginning, just like yesterday's group and the day before that. Just Yeah. It's just like, like an assembly okay, line. This is what we did yesterday. <laughs> this is what we did yesterday. And I, I, you got to think the routine after a while probably gets old. But you always have new kids. Yeah. So that would be the interesting part of it, getting to constantly getting to know new kids. Yeah, and, and get them out there and know that they're they're excited. As uh, the one guy Harvey there was saying, just that feeding off that excitement, right? Mm-hmm. For his first 20 seasons, the camp was mobile with canoe trips starting from various locations and then moved to its current location on Moose Lake about 20 miles northeast of Ely in 1942. First camp owned canoes made of wood and canvas were purchased in 1928. In the early 50s, famed Ely canoe builder Joan Saliga 
began selling wooden canoes to the base and continued as a primary supplier until 1972 when the shift to lighter aluminum canoes was made. Oh, those Grummins. Yeah. Knew they had to be in there somewhere. Yeah. Now the camp is buying dozens of lightweight Winona canoes every year, made from Kevlar and weighing just 45 pounds or so. They use mostly the 18-foot Champlain model, which Derek and his family would need. Yes, exactly. A three-seater. The scouts get a good deal from uh, the Winona, from Winona, Minnesota manufacturer, in part because its founder, Mike Chikanowski, is a summer's camp alum from 60 years ago. Just before he started making canoes, he founded Winona Canoe in 68. He was an Eagle Scout, and uh, as were his three brothers. Yeah, see, they got Eagle. I don't know what if Eagle Scouts is the same as Ventures, whether they still have Ventures up here or not. Mm. But that was the step after Boy Scouts. Like yeah. say, Beavers, Cubs, Boy Scouts, Ventures. <laughs> and then Old Age and Die after that. <laughs> Uh, he attended the canoe base for its first Boundary Waters trips in 1964 and 1965. He says, I can't overstate how big an influence going to that camp had on my life. He's 75 now, by the way. I had been canoeing quite a bit down here in the Mississippi River, but those first Boundary Waters experiences, they were just awe-inspiring. They helped form who I am and what I've done making canoes for more than 50 years. I still go up there with my grandchildren now. It's still a big part of my life. And see, that's that's with with the some of the camps up here uh, in Tomogamy and stuff like that. They do, um, they'll have get-togethers of past oh, participants, yeah. Yeah. and you get these people who are you know in their forties, fifties, stuff like that, and their kids are going. You know, and some of their kids are, are guides or counselors and stuff at these camps. And they go up for these reunion weekends or, or weeks or whatever. Yeah. And, and they do the paddling and stuff. They, they learned mm-hmm. way back when, right? And and they all remember with fondness going to these camps and, and stuff. Uh, in addition to the summer's base camp near Ely, Northern Tier, High Adventures also runs canoe bases near Atacoke in Ontario and oh. Bissett, Manitoba all part of the Boy Scouts National High Adventure Program. Thibodeau noted that Northern Tier Camps pushed through not just the COVID-19 shutdown, but also the 2020 bankruptcy of Boy Scouts of America. I don't think I knew about that. I didn't hear about that. I don't think... I mean, it sort of rings a bell, but maybe I just heard it in passing and didn't. it just didn't register. Uh, and the nearly 18-month border shutdown, halting travel between the U.S. and Canada that shuttered both the Northern Tier Canadian operations and kept Ely-based campers on the U.S. side of the border. So they still pressed through. Uh, we're going back. We're back to normal. We're getting there, she says. After 100 years, it's going to take more than this to stop this place, which is, is a good thing, right? Uh, Charles L. Summers... A St. Paul businessman was an avid camp supporter, canoe trip organizer, uh, organizer, and participant. He was active in the Boy Scouts and went on to help purchase the current camp location where in 1942 the historic Lodge building was erected. It now serves as a meeting hall and interpretive center. Very cool. If only he knew he'd mm-hmm. be around this long. Yeah. That's what you got to hope for, right, when you start something like that. Your hope is going to last. 
Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, good on them. So it's, you know what, it's nice to see that the scouts are still still going, still doing their outdoor stuff, their canoe trips and stuff, and getting the kids the skills to get out there. And, and there's a Canadian component of it. Because mm-hmm. I was wondering if I wanted to send my kids on something like that, then, uh, but I'm not going to send them to the States. Yeah. But if there's still, it's a long way, you'd have to, you'd have to fly in to somewheres up there on their own. <laughs> Logistics of that. Well, we lost your kid. Yeah. Ah, just think of the money I'll save. <laughs> I got another one. <laughs> yeah, we got a spare. <laughs> what is it they call it? An heir and a spare? Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty cool. Like I say, we, we did a lot of that outdoor stuff growing up. And, you know, uh, scouts is where I learned winter camping from and and some outdoor stuff, building fires, tying knots, all that sort of stuff. Some tree identification. Hey, see that thing over there? Yes, yeah, a tree. Hey, <laughs> see that? That's, that's a plant. Yay! Here's your badge. <laughs> you know, first aid because you get to work towards your badges and stuff. Do they, yeah, I, I presume they still do all that sort of I stuff. I assume so. I haven't kept up with boys. You need things. some way to mark your progress, right? I remember I used to do the. Um, You'd line up and the, the hygiene thing at every every weekly meeting. Oh, you hold your hands out so they could check and check your check your nails and stuff and, like that. Yeah, yeah, Sean, you got a nail biting problem. Yes, I do. <laughs> 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 How can you tell? You can't see my nails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been biting my fingernails since I was a kid. It's a bad habit. Yeah, a couple of times I've stopped. Yeah, and I forget that I've got nails. The next thing I got a slice across my face because I've scratched or something. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're great for picking a guitar. <laughs> um, we talked about sharks and sharks, alligators and whales, and whales orcas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something else we talked about, another animal. Uh, I don't know. I think there was four of them that we talked mm-hmm. about. Anyway, there's another one to add to the list. Yep. The well, animals are coming back at us. Right? Yeah. They're starting to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Took them long enough. I know. Wildlife officials are trying to capture a wayward sea otter that has been wrestling surfboards away from surfers and aggressively approaching kayakers off the coast of Santa Cruz, California. Now, you think... A little otter. <laughs> well, I know. He's, it's, he's what, the size, maybe the size of like a cat? So we had to Google it because it's like I'm thinking those cute little things that I oh, see yeah. in Algonquin no, Park. No, I've seen, I've seen <laughs> shows on, on these things. They're not cute and cuddly. They're huge. They're like five to six feet long. Yeah. Big. Yeah, up to Big. 100 pounds. Uh, so apparently there's a five-year-old female otter that has shown aggression towards people for several weeks and poses a public safety risk. Yeah, they say it to, hasn't hurt anybody yet. Hasn't hurt anybody yet, but it's being aggressive towards them. It's it's chasing them off their paddle boards. Video and photographs shared on social media show the marine mammal getting up on top of different surfboards on at least one occasion, biting and tearing chunks off the board and aggressively approaching surfers. Why would it do that? Team of wildlife experts with California Department of Fish and Wildlife and the nearby Monterey Bay Aquarium were working to capture and put the animal in a new home. 
Since while there have been no confirmed reports of injury due to the highly unusual behavior of this otter, kayaker, surfers, and other recreating in the air, others recreating in the area should not approach the otter or encourage the otter's interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if there's something that big in the water coming at me, yeah, chances are I'm going to give up my paddleboard as well. Well, if you're climbing, I mean, you've seen the videos of, oh, look at the cute little seal jumped on my, my <laughs> front of my kayak yeah. as a giant orca swims underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, if you want to jump on and have a, oh, you're a kayaker, dude. Okay, see ya, and then jump off the other side. That's one thing. <laughs> but when you're coming at me aggressive, like, yeah. but that's like they say, a raccoons, they'll come up to you, they get bold, but if they're getting aggressive, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to back up because chances are they got got rabies. Yes, I don't know if sea otters can get rabies. I imagine anything can get rabies. I think so. I've never really looked into it. Humans get it. Yeah, when they get bitten by things with it, mm-hmm. like other humans. <laughs> uh, federal wildlife officials said the otter's behavior is highly unusual, and the exact cause for such behavior is unknown. Aggressive behavior in female southern sea otters may be associated with hormonal surges or due to being fed by humans. So I wonder if it was getting fed and then somebody stopped. So now it's just yeah. getting ticked yeah. off. Yeah, I want food. Because a gravy train has I ended. want food. Yeah. The animal which wildlife officials named Sea Otter 841 was born in captivity and released into the wild June 2020. So she's been in the wild for a few years now. Yeah. She's tagged with her number and has a radio transmitter that officials are monitoring to find and capture her. Officials say it is not the first time the otter has shown aggressiveness towards humans. Sea otter was observed approaching people in late 2021. Last May, she was spotted with a pup in the Santa Cruz area and four months later exhibited similar aggressive behavior. I wonder if maybe something happened to the pup. Hmm. Well, if, no, if she started it before that. Yeah, I guess she's, yeah, exactly. In September, a team of California wildlife officials and Monterey Bay Aquarium staff hazed the sea otter by yelling loudly at her and using a paddle to beat the water in an effort to create a negative association with people. Ultimately, that effort was not successful and the interactions with people continued and escalated and now we've got an otter that is very bold says Kevin Connor, a spokesperson with the Monterey Bay Aquarium. We need the animal to listen to its natural in- survival instinct and have a healthy fear of people so it won't approach them. That, uh, if people are feeding it. Yeah, and that's like a, a nuisance bear. Yeah. Right? Connor said that once captured, the otter will be evaluated by aquarium vets and be given a new home in a zoo or aquarium where she can be an ambassador for her species. So the, the the deal is to capture her and capture and put her in a zoo, yeah, an aquarium or something. If she harms a person, wildlife officials would have to consider euthanizing the animal, which nobody wants to see. That southern sea otters, whose population dwindled to about fifty in 1938, are managed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They are listed as federally threatened under the Endangered Species Act and are protected under the Marine Mammal Act in California state law. Now with a population of about 3,000 sea otters, uh, they play a fundamental role in maintaining healthy coastal ecosystems by preying on sea urchins, 
which can multiply and chomp their way through a kelp forests they share. Yeah. So apparently, so, I guess sea urchins are bad for the kelp forests. Yes. Yeah. Didn't know that. Huh. Interesting. Every, everything fits in somewhere in the hierarchy of, uh, mm-hmm. of you know, the you know, a pyramid, right? Yeah. Three from fifty in nineteen thirty-eight to three thousand. It's nice come twenty twenty-three. But it's still threatened in it's almost a hundred years. Yeah, you figure there'd be more. Yeah, I wonder what their natural predator is. Like, I wonder what sharks, is, and yeah, sea orcas, and oh, and right. um, killer whales. Yeah, you often yeah. see killer whales flipping them through the air yeah. and playing well, with that's them. That's uh, yeah, and uh, seals, seals, and, and yeah. that. we see that with seals, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, hopefully they uh, either she skadoodles and goes back to what she's supposed to be doing and not being aggressive, or you don't want to see her in an aquarium or a zoo either. No, you know you want to see them out in the wild. But I don't know. Uh, the last thing I got here. I think it's the last thing I got here. Too many pages. Yep. It's like 100 pages of stuff today. <laughs> we have a lot of notes. I've been doing too much talking. You finished your beer. I haven't. <laughs> so we've talked about bear spray before. And people talk, oh, yeah, it's great. And you bring the bear bangers. Yeah, but, you know, they all have their drawbacks. If you spray the bear in the face into the wind and it all comes back on. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Or you throw the bear bangers, the bear's charging you, and it goes past them. And explodes behind them. It's going to make them chase them towards to, you. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. so yeah, there's all the, you know, things mm-hmm. that could happen. Yes. But eight days into a solo canoe journey through the Yukon backcountry, Dermot Higgins met a bear. It went badly for both of them, but it could have gone a lot worse. It's an interesting story when I read through it. It's like mm-hmm. you can see where everything came to be. Yeah. Uh, so this adventurer from Dublin, Ireland, spent first five uh, first week of July on the Yukon River in the early stages of his quest to paddle more than 3,000 kilometers to the Bering Sea. Apparently, he wants to be the first person from Ireland oh. to paddle the entire Yukon River. Uh, he spent the night at a campsite near Carmax. Though Higgins says he was careful to secure his food, he noticed a mess left behind by others. Empty wrappers and human waste. He cleaned up best he could and set up his tent. Early the next morning, he woke to the sound of something hitting his tent, snapping one of the poles, and looking through the mesh of the tent, he saw a black bear and cub a few meters away. You don't want them that close. No, no, not she. And she whacked the tent. Mm-hmm. I was nearly paralyzed with fear, or really. You know, a lot of thoughts went through my head really quickly. And see, that's exactly what I said to you when I saw the bear on our canoe trip. Yeah. So many things go through your head, and it happens so fast. Yeah. You, you really, it's, it's almost incoherent. Exiting the tent would mean turning his back on the bear. Instead, he pulled out a tin whistle and a bell, started making noise, but it seemed to make the bear angrier. Circled the tent with the cub in tow, climbed onto the picnic table, and then snarling charged towards him. He had one tool left. A can of bear spray. He got the bear square in the face. The bear recoiled really quickly and then actually because I sprayed it through the fabric of the tent, I got a lot of bear spray in my own face too. A lot, 
he says. Yeah. And this is what why I picked this story out because that's what about people say is you spray it into the wind, it's coming back, and yeah, 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 yeah. And the bear's going to come at you. And he's and, tried to spray it through the mesh, and he sprayed and it, it through the mesh, deflected back towards him, and a bunch of it came in back the tent. Down. I don't know how much went to the bear, how much went to me. I was choking. I couldn't see, and I started vomiting. This is the first time I've really heard anybody say what exactly happened. Yeah. yeah. When they got everybody, oh, it just burns. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and then he fainted. He says, I went down like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> he, he regained consciousness about half hour later. The bear and her cub appeared to be gone, but he wasn't sticking around to find out. So, you know, like I say, there's all these things that you have and people always say, well, don't take bear spray because what if it comes back at you? Mm-hmm. And, well, but you sometimes if it's your last resort. It, and it was. Right? Yeah. Uh, he threw everything into his canoe, made tracks down the river, paddled all day and then kept going into the night, uh, hoping to run into other paddlers with who he could camp. Uh, it, I was really traumatized by the whole thing, he says. And eventually he made it to Dawson City. Isn't clear if the garbage left at the campsite is what drew the bear. You got to think if there's been that much garbage. Yeah. It's, it's got to be, if not the only factor, at least one of them. Adam Henderson, a Yukon conservation officer, confirmed they had received a report about the incident, but noted that it was a that uh, there was a lag time between when it happened and when it was reported, so the information they have about the bear is limited. Sebastian Jones, a wildlife analyst with the Yukon Conservation Society, said, hearing about the state of the campsite is concerning. What bothers me, he says, it's really bad when that happens. Uh, there's no excuse for the, for doing that whatsoever. If you pack stuff into the bush, you should pack it home again. If you don't want to carry out your feces, bury it. If you pack stuff into the bush, take, take it home. Take it with you, it's yeah. that simple. Made the effort to get it in there. Why not yeah. take it back with you? Yeah. Not doing that is inconsiderate, rude, and potentially, as in this case, very dangerous. This guy could have been badly hurt or killed. He added that the amount of paddlers that use the Yukon River, there are things that could be done to make it easier for people to do the right thing. He pointed to what's being done at the river between Lake Labarge and Carmax where the Labarge Renewable Resources Council is putting out fire pits and outhouses to reduce the waste left by paddlers and campers, which would be the same with with our parks here. Yes. They have the the fire pits, the only place you're allowed to have a fire, Mm -hmm. and they have the thunder boxes, right? Experienced outdoorsman, uh, an experienced outdoorsman who has lived and camped in the Yukon for decades, Jones says he's had close encounters with bear, but never a dangerous one. He says it's a good idea to take training on how to use bear spray like any other weapon. As for Higgins, the encounter made him seriously think about whether he wanted to continue on his voyage. With some time and space between him and the bear, uh, he posted an update on his Facebook page saying uh, that he was going to Keep He's on going, going. Yeah, continue on. So, so yeah, that's a, it's a very disconcerting uh, event. So, normally you don't have bears that are 
as bold as to go into mm-hmm. a person's campsite and and so it, it, that would <laughs> that should cause a lot of people a lot of concern and and it should be a wake up call for people who are leaving a mess on campsites it's like you're not doing yourself or anybody else a favor by uh by leaving messy campsites like that it it no. teaches bears wrong habits about where they can get food and and she might have been trying to get into that tent because she knew that hey there's a human in here humans have food yeah yeah, and that's what that's what happens. They relate humans with food. Mm-hmm. So whether they can smell it or not, they figure there's a human in there. Yeah. There's going to be oh, that's where that's where they keep their food. Mm-hmm. You know, could have been the last people there. But you know, that's the whole thing with the with the. I take a can of bear spray when I do my solo trips. Okay, um, I have it on the on the pack or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, but I don't. I've never had to use it. Yeah, never. I, I know how to use. I it. I don't know anybody who's used bear spray. No. But I think the one thing that always sticks with me is if I'm pulling that pin, where's the wind? Mm, yes. Right? You need to be aware Because of that. you've really got to be, if there's a wind or something, the last thing you want is that stuff coming right back at you. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to help yeah, you at all. It, it's, it's not. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing is if, if you get the full brunt of it and the bear gets none. Yeah. You're a sitting duck then. Yeah. You know, and like I say, he, he passed out. Yeah. Yeah. And if the bear didn't get any, any in the face- he could have come back and he could have just and he's just unconscious there yeah the bear's thinking huh food right so uh and again with the bear bangers you gotta you gotta know how to use them properly and take that into account when something's coming at you exactly you know you you don't want to fire that bear banger off and have it blow up behind and chase the bear the bear. Yeah. yeah you don't want the bear between the banger and you yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's just not a good scenario so whoops on the other hand glad he decided to continue his his journey uh, definitely a frightening experience, that's yes. for sure, but one to definitely be in his, uh, I remember the time, <laughs> right? So, uh, that's all I got. Yeah, I got nothing to add. I got nothing. I, th- I think people should be more aware of leave no, the seven leave no trace principles and stuff like that. And, and, you know, don't leave a mess for people to clean up behind you. Mm-hmm. Like whether you're in the front country camping, back country camping, whatever, that's, that's the only thing I would really want to close on. And uh, with that story is, uh, is people need to, people need to be better, do better. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we're all forgetting people out there, new people, old mm-hmm. people, people from other countries, you know, that are, are coming to Canada yeah. for the first time. Enjoy it. Come out here, enjoy it, get out there, but make sure you do the bit of research and and what's going to happen. And I mean, we see some of the questions that are that are asked, uh, you know, and just like a little bit of research would have mm, exactly, you know, yeah. Uh, and some of the questions are like, well, yeah, they they haven't done enough research yet. You can tell just by the way their questions are coming out. Mm-hmm. So you just sort of point them in the right direction, going, yeah, here's what you want to check this out, check this out, check this out, and that they can. Be educated on how to do stuff properly, and you'd think that you wouldn't think that you need to. Be, you would need to be educated on not littering. You wouldn't think that that's something somebody would need to be told or something to learn. It's like it should be common sense. It's like how many times do you drive down the road behind somebody and they, they flick just, a, a cigarette butt out that window, or you, or you see coffee cups flying cups out or something? Or, yeah. You, yeah. d- you wouldn't think they would need to be educated on it. Yeah. But some people need a good old slap upside why, the head. Why do you throw Take stuff? Take that home. Here. Yeah. I got garbage sitting in my truck because I don't throw it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I no, I'm not going to throw it out the window. When I get home, I'll toss it out and then I forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> Until one day I'm cleaning up the truck. Oh, yeah. yeah. Time to clean up. There's too yeah. much, <laughs> no too more too room for garbage. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, you shouldn't have to be, but the only thing about common sense is there's not enough of it. Correct. So. Absolutely. Alrighty. Uh, that's it? That's it. Nothing new? No. Nope. Fantastic. Fantastic. So are we going to uh, the Canadian Amazon soon? I want to. Let's do that. Let's go to the Canadian. We'll, we'll call Mikey. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. He's very close to him. See? Yeah. There we go. Alrighty. All right. Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can stream or download all our episodes there. And there's 387 of them now. Wow, we're getting close to 400, buddy. I know. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. Bye.